Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the elf bar of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. Sarah Jezebel Deva, J-O-I recording. And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Remorseless Anvil of Plummeting Inhumation. <laughs> how, can, how can the anvil plummet? It's for a Looney Tunes-themed war metal band, or specifically a Bugs Bunny-themed war metal band. Oh, and that's, my, that's good. Yeah, that's my AKA. Uh, oh, that's uh, my, my, my pseudonym. Yeah. Uh, powerful anti-roadrunner energy. You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, uh, that wascally wabbit, he stole all my whiffs. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh man! Now I re- now I really want to see uh, Moyen art um, d- tackling uh, you know like classic Looney Tunes characters, but in his like goat fucking style. <laughs> Elmer Fudd actually, well, I'm sure. Elmer Fudd would be particularly bestial in his style, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's already got the the shotgun, so you just give him all the bandoliers and stuff, but just leave his face completely the same. Wait, who was the artist you were saying? Uh, Chris Moyan. Chris Moyan. Oh, oh, that's the Goatman guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I got it. I was. I wasn't sure for a second, but yeah, you're talking about the one main war metal illustrator before Warhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like just, any of those, uh, you know, goats with machine guns, fucking nuns. You know? mm-hmm. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Elmer would be brutal. Um, (laughs) anyway what sarah jezebel deva was she the singer of cradle of filth she she was the original female vocalist for cradle Mm -hmm. yeah so i imagine that there would be a lot of people that would you know buy you know joi videos from her just for the voice for a minute i forgot what a joi video was but then i remembered (laughs) sure you did chief sure and then i came (laughs) <laughs> well here's something else that'll make you guys come god we've just been doing really vulgar how, how do we get on this why is it all dirty jokes my mother would be disappointed in me uh my mom would too but she's got so many other things to be disappointed in first uh i don't know we've we've <laughs> we we've you know what we, you know we've grown up a lot over the course of the show and i think this just indicates that we're becoming you know more comfortable with our sexuality and our masculinity and i i think that's a healthy thing and i think that we should impart that same sort of self mastery to other men with autism <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, here's something else that'll make you guys come. Following us on social media. You can follow me, the death metal guy, on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast. Or you can follow the black metal guy uh, on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, And if you're particularly dedicated, you can subscribe to us on Patreon or OnlyFans, where $5 and up gets you access to the (laughs) Terminus Black Circle, where uh, actually right now we're mostly just uh, celebrating the birth of another Terminus child, of which there are a a surprising number in the fan base. So uh, congrats to our buddy for uh, having his, uh, his first son. So good for him. Yeah, congratulations, dude. Yeah. So, uh, all right, man. We uh, we have a, a mini up front, courtesy of you. Actually, we, we, we kind of got the uh, the schedule confused, so we had to scramble at the end with what albums we were recording because we were both planning on different episodes. So, these records are uh, actually all from the Black Metal Guide today. But uh, you've got something up front to show us. 
Yeah, we've got some more uh, depressive material coming next week. But this week, it's all just um, sort of horrible uh, shrieking noise of various <laughs> kinds. Um, uh, and these, we've got some bands in a in a range of genres, but I think you'll find they go pretty well together. Um, so first off, my first, the first time I've got off my ass to do a mini review in a minute. Um, this is uh, Avowed Volume One by Avowed on independent uh, as an independent release. Uh, it should be noted that the name is spelled in all caps without an E. Uh, first constructive criticism to get out of the way. Not a good band name. Sounds like Christian rock. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, uh, it, I think I, it, it's just the first demo. You can change the band name and no one will care. Is it supposed to be an acronym, maybe? M- maybe, but yeah, I don't know. It's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, okay, so the band name needs some work. However, um, the music is pretty pretty cool uh, and very... Um, I don't know. It's 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 fairly whole cloth. It's an extremely professional debut release. Um, how would I describe it? Well, the last band I heard of that had a name like that uh, was LVTHN from one of the Low Countries back in the early twenty teens. Um, do you remember them? Leviathan. Uh, I, I the the name the Leviathan without vowels strikes me as familiar, but I don't know if I ever yes. listened to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> no, no. It's not Leviathan. It's Leviathan. <laughs> uh, but um, that they were uh, that was. I think I I kind of I really liked their initial releases or two because they were just like really horrid dissonance, but very directed. The music was pretty sort of like short, focused, punky songs with very strange scrunk chords that you would be more common in Disso Black, mm-hmm. or in, in you know, I guess at the time just Orthodox is what it was. Um, uh, I sort of lost interest in it. Can't remember if that was fair or not, but um, it, it, they made a mark at the time, um, and I can't help but think this band name is sort of a reference. Uh, to that, because the music is somewhat similar. Uh, these are, the whole thing is 18 minutes long, and it's four tracks. So by black metal standards, these are quite quite condensed. Um, and they rely on really hideous dissonance, in often in the chords themselves. But instead of blending into this sort of like gauzy or just continually unpleasant skronk stuff, they're usually pretty clearly marked uh, nasty shapes. Uh, and in a time when there are thousands of bands that specialize in these kinds of chords and trying to sound hideous, this sounds extremely hideous, uh, in part because uh, it's taking the guitar vocabulary that you get in the wake of DSO and the Orthodox bands and paring it down to extreme basics and to these like simple clear-cut gestures uh and it's delivered at very high intensity uh it's very aggressive um and the record is also remarkable for its sound design 
I use that term just because, like, production doesn't quite do it justice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, if you say, like, we, we often talk about the record has a blank production, right? The production is, like, an adjective, and it's, it's the sort of, like, default space the music hangs out in. But here it seems like there's been a lot of care, just five-second interval, interval by five-second interval to shaping to working on the tonal quality of the sounds uh and uh and the controlling the sense of sonic space like whether there there are moments that feel more claustrophobic moments that feel more vast uh and there's just very deliberate crisp tone choices um like it's it's like astonishingly good sound for a demo. Uh, so where where does this come from? Um, this is the main songwriter of uh, Malthusian Command with a K. Don't get it twisted. Um, and uh, here he he's basically in the same role, but as multi instrumentalist, right? So everything. Uh, I assume that includes drum programming, which is not a problem here. We'll come back to it. Uh, but it's a duo, and the other member is the vocalist slash lyricist, right? So you may be raising your eyebrow, right? Because this sort of duo format often renders the vocalist a kind of afterthought, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, the one guy wrote all the shit, and the other guy, you know, yeah, he, he couldn't do the screamy voice, so he got the other guy, yeah. right? Um, th- not the case here. Uh, you know how, like, the power trio kind of is, like, the Led Zeppelin format or the Thin Lizzy format? Mm-hmm. This is the Anal Nathrak power duo. Yeah. So, like, the vocalist is, the vocals are front the front and center, and it's a real vocal performance. Uh, just, uh, the vocals are as, if not more, abrasive than the guitar. Uh, and, uh, run a pretty impressive array. Uh. Um, it's sort of, it's all, everything is loud and confrontational, but delivered with some nuance. Uh, and so that is cool. Uh, this does not, maybe it doesn't feel like it doesn't have like full band energy in the way that Malthusian did, but it doesn't feel like a solo project where everything is dragged and dropped either. Yeah. Um, so, let's listen to some. I'm curious to hear what you think. I've got some ideas about other parallels and comparisons. Uh, let's hear what you make of it. Here's track one. We're going to roll it for almost three minutes to just give you a sense of the range. This is Spectre of Nadezhda.
death metal guy. What are your impressions? Um, it's interesting because it's kind of like a, a patchwork of different things. Uh, so like the opening, like the opening riff actually just makes me think of a really caustic Avski riff. Or something oh, like that. Oh, that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, that that totally that, makes sense. You know, I, all of it's rooted in like the two thousands, definitely. Yeah, er, yeah early yeah. two thousand for sure. Uh, so like Avski up front, the uh, that really fast churning power chord riff really just sounds like sort of like a Marduk riff, but with more dissonant chord voicing. Um, but actually, like the weirdest stuff, the kind of scronkiest stuff, really just makes me think of like uh, Furza. Hmm. Which um, is kind of a weird... Because I'm thinking that this is probably deliberately courting shit that was, like, weirdo fringe stuff in the 2000s, like, when we were coming up. So, like, Furze, um, I'm getting this weird streak of Dead Reptile Shrine, even though they sound very different from this band. Um, Overall, it just seems... It seems like digging into the record collection of a really peculiar era of black metal. And I think that you're... I think the Anal Nathrak comparison goes beyond just sort of the format. Like, the, the Codex Necro is clearly really important here. Oh, yeah, cool. I was wondering, yeah, I felt it felt like it. And, you know, the other thing about Anal Nathrak, right, was that, I mean, for, so for, for listeners who don't know that stuff, right, it, it Codex Necro was, uh, you could say the ideal, the inspiration was Dark Throne, but it was delivered with as like sort of cyber grind. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's it's all you know, two eighty four drum machine blast beats, distorted vocals. Um, I, you know, the the problem when you talk about Anonathrock is now that they've had such a long career of doing what's basically just like really aggressive melodic black death stuff. That first album is almost an afterthought. Yeah, no, that's true. But their earliest stuff, at least, I'm not sure where they are now. But I think for at least even, I had one of the beefier records and enjoyed it. I had Hell Is Empty and I liked it. For, for oh no, was, they're they're I not was, a bad band. Yeah. They're they're yeah. not a bad band at all. I think that they're worth listening to. It's just, but the first one is the one that always stuck with me the most because well, it's well, so just was, insane. No, Codex Necro is the best, and for some reason I never bought it. But the um, uh, the. The thing I was going to say is the common thread from that to even say hell is empty and all the devils are here is that it feels very industrial in yes. a sort of um, non, in a central way. Uh, and the the cool thing that really struck me there was, okay, we come in on the two-step. I also thought that with the Malthusian command background, I also thought, okay, this is some mysterious guy, hardcore priors, right? Um, just... But I, the Avski thing totally makes sense. Um, but you c- come in on that like nasty two-step, and then without really changing the basic groove, you get like this rolling chug riff. Uh, and when it goes to the um, what you say that uh, the first kind of um, the 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 one-two Slayer beat section, it's not really a Slayer beat, which is like a hyper-fast Motorhead beat. It's mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's it's played in the way like a ministry programmed drums would be. Yeah. Yeah, it's ministry doing that. And so this band's from Chicago, and I'm just wondering like could one could the way forward for this band be embracing the industrial subtext and embracing the Chicago thing? Because I found that to be quite unique and it worked really well. No, I think that's I, I think it's definitely cool. I I would need to hear more because the question for me is is going to be like 
the, so all of those riffs are like interesting takes on ideas, but none of them would really immediately grab me. But it's also not really supposed to be completely riff based. But I think the riffs are still important, and I think that that kind of bears out like the ultimate longevity of the band. You know, I think that's true. I think that more. <laughs> There might need to be more work to build out the specificity of the riffing to make them more, yeah, uh, less gestural, right? But but yeah. yes, it is. It's clearly primarily interested in uh, some of its parts, right? And yeah. sort of rapid motion between things. Okay, so now let's look at um, give you a view of some of the other riffs um, and. Here's where I want to talk about the limitations of this, right? This band could go in a number of directions, right? And if you're talking about scraping dissonant stuff from the early 2000s, the the elephant in the room there is Icelandic black metal, mm -hmm. which we all know is the worst black metal scene of <laughs> modern, modern days. Um, and Icelandic black metal is... Uh, highly based on just this you know this morass of scronk chords that go nowhere and do nothing and um and the worst excesses of orthodox bm <laughs> I, icelandic black metal is when you incorporate hardcore into black metal in the wrong way <laughs> yeah that's true they're probably not aware they're doing it <laughs> this guy is aware he's doing it yeah um the uh, <coughs> but basically like you're about to get a there's parts of this record that go into sort of arty early 2000s Icelandic and French territory and you know what that means buddy <laughs> enter the void or well here we're coming out of I, I'm not going to sample the voids basically like the beginning of the second track beware of a holy whore we get a minute and a half of void um, and the voids are well sound engineered. There's kind of like cool whooshing and there's just cool sounds happening there. It's like well done, but it does just come out as the part where there isn't black metal. And so we're going to sample from the end of one void into the good part, back to the void.
so we re-enter the void. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, there it it coalesced, coalesced a bit around another chug riff with some cool kind of hanging chords. But before that, we got like I don't know, thirty, forty seconds of spooky arpeggio. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's one of those orthodox gestures that, in most cases, I think has. Uh, worn out its very limited utility. Well, I, I think the whole problem with that stuff is like it's if you want to convey a certain kind of feeling, and I assume that the feeling of the spooky orthodox is supposed to be a sort of like ominous dread. The problem is there's not many novel ways to configure that that still inspire that emotion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It, it, Go on. Oh no, I was just gonna say, you know, it, it, the problem the problem that I find with a lot of that stuff is that that stuff never really struck me as that spooky because it most of the time it just kind of like lacks intentionality. You're just you're selecting some ugly chords and you're you're picking between them, but the the, the sort of arbitrary nature of it bears out in the music. It, it's like the the stuff in metal that actually sounds really scary tends to be really intentional. You know, uh, I don't think you can really get there through just selecting the stuff. I understand the thing. It's it's sort of coasting off an implication of itself. Does that make any sense? Coasting off of the conventional associations, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of yeah. like it's relying on the listener to already be primed to be like, uh, that's mm-hmm. that's spooky because that's yeah. what those chords mean. Yeah. This is the spooky yeah. part, you know? No, the lyrics are, yes, it's conventionalized spooky part for sure. The, or the vocals there are really impressive and well done and sort of wrenching and powerful. Yeah, no, I think the vocal performance is really cool across this. However, though, the vocals, too, there, the intent clearly seems to be to be scary. And, yeah, it's like part of it is just that, like, I don't think black metal has much more mileage in terms of raw, like, that kind of sonic shock factor, right? And, And where the shock factor is coming in is stuff like Concrete Winds or a couple of the bands we're going to cover next, right? Although even those aren't exactly shocking. Concrete Winds maybe, but like... Well, I mean, that kind of... It it brings up an interesting question, which is something I've sort of talked to people about, which is like trying to make really dark, aggressive, hostile, um, terrifying music. That's like an admirable goal. But how do you execute that in a style of music that thrives off those things naturally. Like, I, I guess I get the feeling with a lot of bands that it's like you're you're sort of trying to scare a theoretical normie audience that wouldn't be listening to your stuff anyway. Yeah, it's like, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. It's like we gravitate towards these things, and so then parts that are meant intentionally to be scary, it's just like, well, I... I listen to this music because I like it, right? And the um, the vocals there, right? And that's not a complaint about the vocal performance in general or about the most engaging parts of the, the, the songwriting here, right? The vocals, like, when he's using that skill to just sound scathing and contemptuous and sort of, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, um, manic, mad, uh, 
wrathful, etc. That's that's all that all makes sense, right? But then when it attempts to like fundamentally black metal depends on the listener's identification with the music, right? And it 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 uh like yeah, there are a very few actual scary black metal records and they were made by really cracked mentally ill people who were inventing the style in the 90s and early 2000s. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, and I I yeah. think that the the thing is there it, there is um weird and shocking stuff on this record. I I heard it on the first sample. And what the the weirdest and most shocking stuff is like using those really dissonant chords to make a sort of like enthusiastic black thrash riff because what that communicates is like a a a weird mind with a total like aesthetic mismatch that that conveys something kind of scary there you know that it's like it's scarier when it's supposed to be party music and you just don't understand what kind of party it's supposed to be this is Josh from Defeated Sanity, and you're listening to Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. And we are back from the death metal guy telling me about Tekken 6 to review Reflected Lights of a Blind God by Kal Nagini out on Iron Bonehead Productions. So, Kal Nagini are part of the... Uh, infamous Kolkata Inner Order Circle in India um, related to uh, obviously most famous Tetragrammicide and uh, as represented by the show, Apartiva Raktadara who topped our year-end list last year, basically, right? Uh, yeah, that was, yeah, it was our aggregate and it was yeah, like, it was, it was number three for me and number two for you, so I'm comfortable with that being best of the year. Yeah, that was our yes, that was our combined top top record of 2022. And so we've uh, I obviously want to keep an eye on all this, uh, and this is a new project from that scene. Uh, this is the debut EP, um, where sort of uh, tetragramma side is kind of um, you know noisy, sprawling, industrial, chaotic. Uh, I mean, chaotic. What is it? All this music is quote unquote chaotic, right? <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's um paints on a bigger on a bigger canvas um and apartiva rectadera is this uh rigorously structured ascetic morbid angel music right, mm. with complex rhythms um kalnagini is uh clearly one of this circle's efforts at uh much more direct war metal um the uh just sort of in terms of the basic format of the band, this is just like, hey, let's do a war metal band with a lot of blasting. It'll be like Blasphemy. But of course, because it's these guys, it will sound completely different and have a very distinct sound. Uh, the, um... Yeah, so, where to start? Uh, this is... Yeah, the one thing that sets this apart basically from say blasphemy revenge blah 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 is or arch goat is that you'll hear a lot of the rhythmic and melodic techniques that are used in a more ornate way by apartiva um so there's uh um 
odd time signatures, uh, very um, the use of like long, elaborate multi-bar phrases with bars of different lengths, uh, and all of that, sp all of that space used to create different kinds of melodies. Uh, um, and it's also proximate to other stuff we like on on Terminus. Uh, you, I think you've mentioned that the most distinctive quality of this band is the tone. So, uh, and I would say in a way, the tone reminds me of a modern noise war metal version of Nidan Division 187. Yeah, I, I, I can see where you're getting that from. Because Nidan has like a similar sort of wind tunnel effect. Mm -hmm. um, just like the EQ is completely different. Nidan is like sort of piercingly thin, but with this, like, ghostly body of bass. Uh, this is really down-tuned, but it's also, it's a, there's a very strange guitar tone on this, uh, in that it's, like, it's, it's very loud and overdriven in recording, but it doesn't seem to have, like, a tremendous amount of gain on it, which means that it's, uh, or maybe they're playing, um, yeah, you know they're they're like playing guitars uh, on the neck pickup setting or something. It's a little bit fuzzier and a little bit more warbling than you're used to hearing in extreme metal. But the effect that this gives, alongside the way these guys write riffs, is something really strange. Because mm -hmm. um, I mean, we can get into the meat of the music. So the the bulk of the riffing on this record is like almost entirely chromatic. Um, like it's we're we're beyond just regular levels of dissonance. It's like totally atonal. Most on of the, the time. first track, they play a minor sixth twice. It's very epic. Yeah, yeah. It's like and that's they, it. <laughs> that's yeah, the it. only the only times you'll get really uh, like oh, full fledged melodies are on kind of the slowest, doomiest parts, which oh, happen occasionally. Oh wait, no. There are there are also a couple minor. Oh wait, no. I'm thinking of a different record. I'm thinking of the other record. Yep, there's just one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, yeah, go so, on. Uh, so, uh, so it's like it's almost entirely chromatic. It's very fast, and when combined with the weird guitar tone, you have this effect where the, <coughs> the notes just kind of like swim in a really weird way. I described it in my notes as like it's almost like it's an analog synth more than it is mm -hmm. a guitar. Um, so that's really interesting and helps to elaborate on this like just hyper gorked esoteric atmosphere that they're going for. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it has limitations in a sense, but I, I mean, that's definitely like the most distinct feature of the record to me. They've landed on like a really novel combination of timbres that opens up a possibility space. Do you remember like hearing blasphemy for the first time and finding it just sonically confusing? I, yeah, that's me today. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I still am not the biggest Blasphemy <laughs> fan. However, on, on Fallen Angel of Doom, right, there's something very unique, and you have to admit it's cool about the overall sound, both in terms of the, the tones and the writing. Oh, yeah, it is it's, it's cool and weird, definitely. Yes, it's genuinely, like, it's very loud and very tough and very brutal, yes, but it's also sort of really cryptic and retiring. Like... It's hard to make out the shape of the riffs, and the riffs themselves are very oddly shaped. They are really sort of hideously chromatic and strangely timed in a lot of places. 
uh, in a way that shows that they were listening to just death metal, death metal, but playing it with no rules. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that sort of obscurity is part of what makes blasphemy irreducible and difficult to imitate, right? If you go down the street humming a blasphemy riff, you're going to be missing something. And if you try to play blasphemy riffs on your guitar, you're going to be missing something. And over time, through the game of telephone, it's just going to end up sounding like Marduk, right? We've, yeah. We've talked about this all the time. That you know, you it gets in, it gets flattened out into like yes. Norsecore, basically. Yes, you be- end up writing riffs in quote like thrash metal minor, and it doesn't have any of the. Uh, any of the dissonance or any of the uh, alienated, deeply alienating, queasy atmosphere, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this band seems to have, like, they're not directly trying to imitate the blasphemy sound at all, but they're, like, distilling something about what makes music like that special. It's or a sort of, like, big, burly power, but in this kind of inscrutable way. Uh, and so I think that that is very cool. Uh, it, it's sort of, if you're interested in that feeling from war metal, then this, this gives you a lot of that feeling. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, it, it definitely does take war metal back to a time where it was more confrontational, you know, where it wasn't just sort of an aesthetic rapper, a, a vast Titanic body heaving in the depths, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the vibe here. Yeah. Speaking um, of which, I can play something. Yeah. Um, <coughs> okay. So, um, on top of all the big, uh, the the bigger bands that we've made reference to, I, I feel like a really primary influence here is Antediluvian. And actually, upon yes. checking these guys out on Metal Archives, one of the guys is wearing an Antediluvian shirt. So that that scans, nice. and that that's a, I mean, you don't need that though. It's very clear that that's a, like of primary interest to these guys. Um, so I want to listen to a song called uh, the back half of the track "Lord of the Two Doors and Seven Portals." I think the last two songs on this record are stronger than the first two. Uh, I mean, this is just a short EP, but I think it definitely gets better as it goes. I think I agree. Um, So the thing for me is like a lot of this record is dominated by um, blast beats and these sort of uh, incomprehensible chromatic trem riffs that actually kind of remind me of like the most chaotic moments off of molesting the decapitated where, mm-hmm. you know, where the, the, the sort of grind riffs that it's like move your hand a rough distance between these two points. And it doesn't really matter if you land on the note or not. <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think you're totally right. Which is cool. There's like an almost half improvisational quality to a lot of the riffs on this, and that's like a pretty neat thing to hear. Um, but what I think, where I think this band really shines is when things slow down and open up a little bit more, just because, you know, it's just natural part of the territories. A lot of this material is just so dense and basically impossible to remember due to how atonal it is. These slower kind of doomy moments end up being these these islands of intelligibility that the listener can hang on to and uh this track has some moments like that that are pretty cool
So yeah, as I said, uh, you know, a lot of this album and a lot of this song is dominated by that sort of like unintelligible blasting, but just those brief slowdown moments, you know, you've got two little islands of sort of weird breakdown configurations and then these little hitches in timing sort of between riffs that just in music as dense as this adds a really important contrast. Um, and I think that it just works really well here. The 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 the, um, the sort of swarming chromatic riffs are just like a little bit more memorable on this one for some reason. I, I just really like the execution. Um, so I, I guess this is where I'll, I'll kind of like talk about my misgivings, which are, are almost like theoretical misgivings. So so basically, Colin Nagini has landed on a really cool and weird idea that combines these unusual timbres with this sort of like off the cuff guitar writing. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting and novel. The question is, is it sustainable beyond like a four track EP? Um, because it's like, it's very cool, but even at, you know, I, I mean, how long is this thing? Uh, this is like a 16 minute EP. A couple minutes before the end, it's starting to wear on me a little bit, you know? It, it's, it's, it is really cool for what it is, but the question is, like, how does this get elaborated upon uh, for a full length? And, and so far, you know, Kolkata Inner Order is never disappointed because it seems like a lot of the projects begin, uh, you know, sort of roughly rotating around this more conventional war metal idea, but then more mm. details are teased out. So, like... Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Tetragramicide had, you know, the, the early stuff is like very just like sort of straightforward, but really cool war metal. And then it just becomes this like industrial noise nightmare on the full length. Operativa starts with a pretty conventional war metal EP and then just turns into uh, formulas fatal to the flesh played at double speed. Um, so it seems like this is a scene of guys who just really like war metal aesthetics and that's where these projects always begin and they but they're willing to surprise you they're they're not um overly committed to that that's just a foundation to build off of so my question with Colin Nagini is where do they go from here and i think that a lot of it is just going to come down to more rhythmic variation maybe something approaching <laughs> not even like melodic stuff, but stuff that's just regular dissonant and not like Schoenberg 12 tone shit. Um, something a little bit more for the listener to hang on to. Um, but, you know, for a, a short, compact little EP, this is a really cool experiment and I'd be happy to hear where they go from here. I'm just not so totally sold on this being the final form yet. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's certainly plenty of room to expand. Uh, one way of thinking about this is something that'll come up again with the uh, Vamachara review later, which is um, being a band that takes innovations from very arty sort of virtuoso bands and distilling them, right? So um, I, the antediluvian thing is, yeah, that's got to be right. I, th these, these are like punk versions of antediluvian songs. Mm -hmm. Th that is, uh, it's, um, there's a similar way of playing riffs, but instead of being these, uh, you know, carefully plotted 20 note riffs extending over 16 bars or whatever, right? 
Uh, there are these sort of frantic, uh, impulsive 20-note riffs expanding over 16 much faster bars. <laughs> um, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the songs have fewer, the songs are fewer moving parts in them and are more exclusively focused on pummeling, right? Uh, and have more more like regular war metal song structures, uh, not like these really long, weird, linear compositions. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and for Antediluvian, right, It's that style of playing war metal almost seemed like um, only they could do it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was uh, just it was so bespoke. You couldn't mm-hmm. imagine other people imitating it. Exactly, a style that was so sophisticated, like it it was just yeah. Um, it's only these two or three musicians playing together and couldn't really be exported in any direct way, right? We've heard its influence on the other Kolkata bands for sure, but um, uh, but what I think the interesting thing is that I think Kal Nagini have really kind of wrapped their heads around that sound. And to be able to distill it effectively, you really have to understand it. And I almost think it's proof of concept for what Antediluvian were doing that another band could present it in a much more direct, aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's it's like um, it not like they're not streamlining it or watering it down, but they're taking this like baroque, detailed art music. And isolating the core gestures and delivering them one after another, right? And using them to make new kinds of basic attack riffs. Yeah, it's it's sort of just, it, it explains Antediluvian not as, you know, this just like completely singular entity, but as a series of processes that can be explored yeah. further. Yeah, yeah, it shows that it has legs, that it has this fruit, <coughs> and... um. And it means that, like, although these riffs do sound half-improvised, the fact that they sound half-improvised is part of what makes them, like, far better than, like, almost any other riffs played by by bands doing kind of aggressive blasphemy, revenge, conqueror, war metal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And some of those bands, like... These are, you know, most of these are like power chords, right? And relative to bands doing sort of power chords or like deliberate, like power, or like the power chord is a tritone and you're sliding it or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, you know, and playing this kind of simple bludgeoning stuff with riffs that have these um, bizarre forms and these sort of that are so intricate they seem to be spontaneous or whatever. Like, that's a major development over just trying to throw a new interval into the Marduk riff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, uh, let's go... So, um, you know, it's funny that you said you like the slow parts, right? Because, like, that part's not slow at all, but I think it says something about the record, right? Um, They could do more slow stuff for sure. But um, I really like some of the fast parts, and I think here's my bid for the idea that's even... Here's a section that I find extremely memorable that has some of the most uh, minimal gestural riffing, but I think it's extremely memorable. Uh, And it introduces one of my themes for tonight, which is avant-garde South Asian bands finding new ways to play the same note over and over again. 
that was the same note over and over again, and it was beautiful. Um, the the um, basically. I mean that seriously, right? It's a sign of an advance in extreme music technique because the basic extreme metal riff is finding a way to play the same note over and over again. And when you can write things that are... When you can write new, stupid one-note riffs, that means that the, the building blocks of riffing are changing and that there's real innovations happening, is what I would argue. So th that part is very neat and if you track the structure there's a very there's a complex structure happening there i mean it works more like an apartiva song than you might think uh so you get this riff one which is just this like heavy downbeat kind of and then it starts you get riff two it starts getting aggressively chopped up into bars of like four sixteenth notes or something and that really strikes me as another i think you're right about the you know uh, um, about the brutal death influence here. I think that's a thing it shares with all the Kolkata bands, and you get that sense of, like, the, the guitar tone is being chopped up into these segments in a really, uh, in, in the, by the, the, the drums clipping them. Uh, and then the riff, that sort of... Yeah, that's a total, like, brutal death thing. Yes, that turns into another riff that is the notes change as it stays in uh as it stays in the bars of four and then the new riff and then like halfway through you get like two repetitions of a new riff using the same rhythmic trope and then we don't change out of four four exactly but like we change the level of subdivision or something uh, and suddenly you hear the new riff played at, like, twice the speed or something. Um, and, and it's like riff two turns into riff three. Uh, and riff three is this, like, escalating, almost you'd call sort of like shepherd's tone riff. Just, mm -hmm. like, rising tense chromaticism. Uh, and that happens, yeah, that, that happens in the middle of a sequence. That's like an Apartiva thing, where the, the riff, you can hear the riffs metamorphosing. Um, and then you hit riff four, and that sort of uh, escalating riff turns into the riff it was going to be, which is the payoff, which is just like a um, a crazed grindcore interrupter riff. Right, uh, it could have come off a repulsion record or a napalm death record or something, and then they do this weird regression where it drops us back to the first riff, then the fourth riff, then the third riff, then the second riff, uh, and so on until you lose track. Uh, but there's some careful structure there, and although these riffs are you know, playing with, you know, just ideas of syncopating, using grace notes, uh, uh, and turnarounds to generate a sort of melodic color within this uh, intensely homogenous attack, right? They're using, like, elemental extreme metal technique, Slayer technique. Uh, the riffs have these uh, unique winding shapes. Um, I don't know. So I, I feel like whenever... 
you're doing something new and it evokes the origin of your stream metal, you're doing something right. You put me in a dark, solitary cell. And to you, that's the end. To me, it's the beginning. It's the universe in there. There's a world in there. I'm free. Review Kal Akuma from Bangladesh with their new record or new EP, Turia, out on Nuclear Winter Productions. I believe Nuclear uh, Nuclear Winter is the uh, sort of boutique label of the guy from Dead Congregation. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So a small lineup of cool death metal bands. Um, uh and yeah, so the the bands have similar names. So what gives? Well, we looked it up, and you said death metal guy Kal with two A's means something like what? It's like an age, like an era. Yeah, an age, an era, like maybe an aeon or a saculum, like yeah. a cycle. Um, so so Kal Nagini would be age of Nagini, who's like a, a snake goddess, or age of the Nagas, or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe Nagini's a genitive. Um, and 
but I'm pretty sure that is the name of a goddess or demon. And then Kalakuma just means age of the demons. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's some cross-language thing, right? Because Akuma is Japanese for demon. Yeah, it's it's hard to t- I don't know if it's just like a cognate or well, what the deal is. Well, there could actually be... There could be some sort of uh, Hindi root for it because, you know, a bunch of Indian stuff ends up in Buddhism, for instance, right? And yeah. sort of t- t- diffuses across the East. Um, but um, anyway, so this is uh, in many ways a, a comparable release because it is a, it's you know, uh, in addition to the names, because it is... It is uh, a short EP done by a, a cutting-edge band from the same general region who are um, working on, you know, stuff that is very definitely death metal, but also very definitely black metal. Um, uh, and uh, we reviewed Kalakuma, uh, their last full length. Yeah, um, in the Mouth of Madness back in 2021. Which, which was their debut, and we really liked that one. Um, yeah, it's a really cool album. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I was obviously interested to check on, uh, you know, where they're going. Um, my first impression would be this record feels a bit more black metal. Like it has more concerted. I think they said they were going in a more atmospheric direction. So there are more things you could just isolate as black metal riffs. But I don't know if it feels any more black metal than their last record, and it might be might feel less like that a bit. Um, what I remember, tell me if I'm right about my impressions of the last one. Uh, so what I remember that one is having this uh, cyclonic oceanic sound, uh, like the, the the cover is is, is a lot like that. Um, and as sounding a lot like um, having these kinds of gyrating, percussive, downbeat blast sections like um, Christian. Uh, yeah, it was It was definitely like, this band isn't part of Kolkata Inner Order, but you can imagine that they're probably at least in part inspired by those bands, in that it's like, Kalakuma is more definitively a death metal band, but by way of a sort of war metal inflection, because it was like, it was very um, pretty chaotic and swirling, but if you sort of broke it down into its constituent parts, most of it's coming from just direct old school death metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and I think, yeah, it's the, the similar names are probably not a coincidence, and it looks like um, they're In the Mouth of Madness came out on Dunkelheit, which also put out the Kapala record and maybe some other Kolkata stuff, so it wouldn't surprise me if they're actually in touch with each other. Um, yeah. Uh, so there, there's definitely some kinship, um, and yeah, it has a... Although it is very obviously death metal, their old one had this, yeah, this kind of swirling sound, uh... And the tone was unusual in that it was kind of warm, uh, and there were just these like sort of prolonged, uh, prolonged trem runs or chug passages with very free open lead guitar. So solos or things like solos, often just like wailing like air raid sirens, um, and over these yeah these blast sections that were kind of. Um, just uh, churned underneath. Uh, 
And these passages often seem to have like a rhythmic expansion and contraction, like a wave-like motion. Uh, and uh, there was something quite quite unique about that. And what I remember really liking the sort of uh, unhinged, improvised aspect of it, and the kind of noise in the guitar tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely um, it was a, it was at an interesting sort of liminal space between old school death metal and very modern war metal type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it left it in a really interesting kind of niche of its own. Yeah. We had never really heard anything like it, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and um, this record, I feel like it has, it does not, maybe it has its own thing to distinguish it, but it's stepped away from that sound. Uh, the guitar tone has been cleaned up a lot. It's a lot crisper. And the riffs here, instead of having the kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the dishwasher chug or the, uh, the, the Christian battering or the, um, uh, the, the sort of wailing stream of trem and lead, uh, it, they have more chiseled shapes, which ordinarily I think is a very good thing. But I kind of liked their old sort of rolling serpentine way of writing riffs, which was mm-hmm. pretty unique. Um, I, it seems like they've made a move here. It seems like in both these bands, what we're seeing is the influence of bands like um, Apartiva, because uh, Kalakuma are also working with sort of complex rhythmic ideas, and kind of like Apartiva, they stepped more towards Morbid Angel on this record. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I hear that in a sense, but the thing that I immediately drew it closer to was Immolation, particularly like a newer half of the discography, Immolation. Once you said it, that seemed, before the show we were talking, that seemed very plausible to me. That that makes a lot of sense, and we'll have to talk about it more as we go through. Um, I, I think... Uh, so I think this is a really, really cool release. I think I'm a little, I think I kind of wanted them to continue their earlier sound, but it's not really my job to decide what this band does. It's, it's our job to evaluate, is this well, a good release? Hold on, it certainly is. We tell the bands what to do. And they just... <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Terminus Extreme Metal Commander podcast. Yeah. Um, you see, uh, I actually, um, I take kind of a different tact. I really like this EP and I think this is actually a step up, uh, from the full length. Um, the full length was really cool and novel in the way that it, uh, that it constructed those sort of weird labyrinthine songs. But at the same time, I, I can't remember any of those songs um it, it it had this sort of like uh remorseless and rigorous quality but it sacrificed a lot of memorability uh so it is a it's a very cool album when i remember to listen to it you know what mm-hmm. i mean um on it's this true that i didn't listen to it a lot in that subsequent year and that i had expected it but that was because I'd associated it with a specific kind of mood, and I guess it just wasn't the vibe I was I was feeling. But I, it's a fair point that like maybe if there had been something more about specific riffs that had grabbed me, maybe I would have come back to it. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about it. And then this EP, on the other hand, is littered with, like, specific riffs to come back to, which I think is really cool. Um, and I think that maybe what we're seeing here is, um, I mean, sort of like I was talking about the Kolkata bands, just in reverse, uh, you know, having done the full length and it, you know, it got a pretty good reception and it was a really solid record. Uh, it still doesn't mean that the band can't change direction or iterate. Uh, and I, 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 I appreciate the sort of uh, free flowing creative impulse we're seeing from a lot of bands from the subcontinent. Yeah, that's, that's fair. So, um, yeah, should we get into samples, or do we have any more up front we want to talk about? Uh, we can get into samples, because I think we're going to talk a lot about like individual choices in songwriting on this. Okay, well, my sample is... Um, I'm just going to choose a part that like uh, directly complements the part I sampled on the Kalmagini. That is a part that's uh, uh, centered on crushing, mo- deliberately monotone downbeat blasting that I really like, but leading into it, uh, leading into it, you'll hear the end of a long passage of the infamous spooky arpeggio, uh, (laughs) as it sort of escalates. But even as you listen to it again, I think I have some more time for this section than I did when I first heard it. So so tell me what you, or you think about what you guys think, uh, we'll, Listen to this. Basically, we're starting off on a conspicuously black metal kind of orthodoxy gesture, and then shit's going to get very heavy again.
so that was ego death. Um, and that that power chord part at the end was just two repetitions of one extremely long riff. Mm-hmm. Calling it a riff isn't maybe even the right thing. It's a structure or a sequence. It doesn't really operate on the time frame of the riff. Uh, yeah. And they're really blocks of sound. Each one of those is like um, eight measures long. Every note is held for eight measures. It moves in complete symmetry. And there's uh, we move from the root um, to a like a steep ascent, and then back to the root, and then to a narrower ascent. Uh, very deliberate, very carefully paced, and it compares directly to that passage I sa- uh, sampled on the Kal Nagini, um, which was, uh, as I said, finding new ways to play the same note over and over again. But yeah. where that one really depended on. Kal Nagini uses melodic technique, riff crafting technique to um, to give that riff, to give those riffs this kind of um, this this propulsive uh, uh, propulsive sort of forward moving asymmetrical whiplash quality. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of you know turnarounds, grace notes, all the sorts of like cool riffing tricks. Um, and it just does that in a very, very simple, blunt way. Uh, this is a little bit different because this this sequence is perfectly symmetrical, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just um, everything is starts on the downbeat, uh, ends you know starts on the one, ends on the I don't know the sixteen, um, and. Uh, the only inflection in it, they're not really changing notes, but there is a bit of a grace note thing in going on, which is that at the beginning of each, punctuating within each of these lines of power chords or single strings, punctuating that, the guitarist will do a little hammer on her bend, a little bend. Um, and it's really just a highly accented down pick to, to mark the time. And the drummer will do the same. As with, um, you know, you talked about, uh, uh, when we were off the air in between, you were talking about how good all the drummers are in the Kolkata scene. Mm-hmm. And this is another band that depends on very high-level drumming, uh, in part to shape the riffs around it. Um, yeah, and- there's, a, there's an interesting thing happening in that, like, long single-note passage where, you know... T- time sort of distorts around it and you start to almost hear uh, like these inflective picking patterns that may or may not actually exist. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, It's um, there are probably a lot of sort of ghost overtones there. Um, And it, uh, and yeah, so they, they found a really cool way of playing this immensely. This it's very sort of like pure and, uh, yeah, it's it's very pure music in a sense. They just are hanging on this one note, but they're pulsing it in a way that does give it some movement and does sustain the heaviness. And but really, it's not it's not so much moving across as just hanging down the down picks. Everything is just it's the ultimate example of like you know how like in certain black metal songs and in, and in a lot of death metal, right? The gravity, the the blast beat. Uh, it, it creates a sinking heaviness. Yeah. 
right? This is this is like it's not literally a gravity blast, but this is gravitational blasting, right? It's like those moments where a death metal vocalist can't even enunciate. He's just going, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and and it goes so long that like you could almost forget the context for each note as you immerse in it, but you know. If you are into listening for song structure, you'll pick up on it. Yeah, there really is a shape to it, and it becomes clear when it repeats the second time. And the shape is even... See- I initially thought there were, like, tricky off-time things happening. No, I didn't realize till we re-listened that it's just, like, totally, like, like, A to this, A to that, A to this, A to that. No, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same effect you get when listening to, like, really oppressive sort of droning funeral doom where... You, you lose the context that the individual mm-hmm. notes are supposed to be in because it's just that slow. Um, and I think it's also interesting that you pick this part to sample because this is kind of the part that sounds the most like the uh, album we, we covered last time. Mm. Yeah, and that's fair. And even the arpeggiated thing is sounds kind of like that. I was going to say, like, we come out of a section that's a little more like you know, stock orthodox black metal picking, but there what you hear is that they take those ways of making arpeggios uh, and really shape a eerie, free-flowing melody out of them uh, in a way that seems a little bit different from the last record, but is pretty similar, and you've got that, like, clipped Christian blasting underneath it. Yeah, and I, I think when it comes to some of the sort of orthodoxy stuff on this record... I've got more time for it than I would usually just because the context it's appearing in is so different. Oh, that's totally fair. Yes, that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, like I don't I, want to just become like autumn. I don't want to become like I heard an arpeggio with dissonance in it. Like I'm, I'm triggered. No, uh, no. I mean, but I understand. I understand the impulse and I, I usually am like that too. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that here it's, it's interesting to, hear those sorts of ideas inserted into a death metal context where in a sense they almost make more sense sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> well, we've talked about the influence of immolation on Orthodox BM and maybe we can segue. Yeah, we're, we're sort of like getting back to it. You, mm-hmm. we're, we're returning to the source. You know, we've we traveled the horseshoe completely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Tiyanak. Uh, it's the second song on this EP, and it's the shortest and most compact, but I think it's actually probably the best. Um, uh, I just want to listen to the first couple minutes just to show off some really extraordinary riffing. Like, I was pretty mm-hmm. surprised when I heard some of these, because these are just like... A-level modern immolation riffs coming from a completely different band. Um, but I'll talk about some aspects that that make this immediately similar to immolation after we listen to it. Um, listen to the guitarist and the way he kind of controls the notes in this much mm-hmm. more deliberate way than you would uh, most death metal bands, and I'll, I'll get into exactly how that works. Yeah. 
so you heard the immolation like immediately like on that one right yeah yeah absolutely yeah so yeah so the thing that i always associate with immolation riffs is like so the you know the the key or the mode they're using is one it's more epic than the average uh, death metal key. Um, mm-hmm. So Mor- Morbid Angel gets to its epic ideas sort of like through this inscrutable thrash related riffing. Immolation just kind of goes for it, especially from Harnessing Ruin onward, mm-hmm. where they start incorporating not that they never had it, but more substantially consonant ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of this, and and a lot of the the flair on this song is coming directly from the guitar technique of Robert Vigna. Um, so Vigna, uh, if no, if you guys have never seen Immolation live or you've never seen a live video of Vigna playing, do it. It is the weirdest looking thing in the world. The way Vigna plays. Um, he he uses a lot of um, a lot of upstrokes in in interesting ways. Uh, the, the way he the way he moves his pick around is almost like more like a conductor's baton than it is mm, like a, like a like a regular uh, uh, death metal guitarist. <clears throat> but I've noticed that he'll do those upstrokes, especially on those big keening bends, which are such a definitive part of Immolation. And now I'm just realizing that's where Inquisition gets a bunch of their riff ideas is from Immolation. Oh, we haven't talked about Inquisition in forever, which is funny because... I. We yeah, we both know. really like Inquisition, but I, yeah. I just made that connection. No, it's like, oh my god, he's got to be listening to a bunch of Immolation. No, that's true, and also Immolation and the most, uh, sort of like the most epic and technical uh, Im- uh, Immortal riffs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like in- Incantation is like the, 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 the deliberately kind of like monged, uh, caveman version of these two sort of like grandiose mountainous bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so anyway, so we listened to that that main riff, that really long sprawling one with the uh, ABAC configuration. Got the main theme, counter theme, main theme, and then this ugly blast beat wrap around with again that like bending, keening uh, pinch harmonic. That time, it just kind of like sours it, puts it in a more dissonant direction before it snaps back onto the key. And then the middle riff is just this really pretty and angular single note trem thing. It's got that gothic cathedral quality that you'll hear in a lot of immolation trem riffs where it's, um, it's majestic, but it's, it's sort of threatening and downcast at the same time. It's kind of a black metal riff. It's kind of a black metal riff, but it's also just like really geometric in a morbid yeah. angel sense. Yeah, um, I hear that, and it's being played single string and etc. Yeah. I think it'd be cool for more black metal bands to have riffs like that. I yeah, think it, they would fit in really well. Um, get back to the main riff because they know just how fucking good it is, and it should <laughs> be juiced more. And then something that I really like is the the third riff that we just hear a few repetitions of before we cut out. Um, uh, which is, again, sort of like uh, something off Dawn of Possession by Emulation. It's a little bit thrashier, a little bit more directly aggressive. But what I really like is the contrast in the length, um, which is something that uh, a lot of bands tend to operate um, around riffs of a certain length. 
but I really like uh, reaching back more into old school death metal where uh, you'd have longer riff formations, but then sometimes you'd have these just very short interrupter riffs that are designed to be looped very quickly onto themselves. It's more of a grindcore technique in a way. Um, so I like the contrast between big, sprawling, elaborate 16-bar idea versus really crunchy two-bar idea, which which helps to create contrast in a way that we don't really think about a whole lot. And that it requires some careful thought um, because it's easy for a riff that short to just appear sort of non-committal and unimportant. But here it's a central part. They break away the drums for it. So um, and, I just... And it- it sort of follows through on that um, black metal-ish sort of uh, um, uh, geometric black metal-ish riff, but uh, voices it as a thrash riff. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I um, think... Um, oh, go ahead. Well, yeah. So that part's really cool. Um, I agree. And I see what you mean about developing... This certainly is an effort to develop higher contrast, and... As an EP, they're really using the format, right? They're, like, really working to expand their uh, vocabulary, right? I, I take your point that, you know, the last one was deliberately uh, a single intensity across the whole record, right? Yeah. And it's I can't remember what we said in our review, but possibly we said it would be cool if they introduced higher contrast in some moments, right? I, I uh, believe we did say... <laughs> I did believe we did say something to that effect. I'll have to re re-listen to that episode, yeah. but yeah, in general, it's just like, I like the, um, I like the transformation here. Uh, I've, I've gotten way more into immolation just over the past couple mm-hmm. of years. I, I finally cracked the code and learned how to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have more appreciation for bands that are moving in that direction. And in general, uh, I guess what what I really want to say is like Kalakuma could have done another record like the last one and we would have liked it a lot and we would have given it a glowing, you know, review on the show. Mm-hmm. But instead they've almost in some sense given the modern standard they've almost taken the more daring route of going more musical. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, a, a big chunk of the audience who would appreciate Kalakuma just going even more brackish and indecipherable. And yeah, that's respectable uh, if that's something that you choose to do. But I think it's really cool to hear these guys be like, okay, let's really sit down with these ideas and build something more concrete and substantial from them. Yeah, well, you're hanging out with the... Um or you're you're doing the 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 daring thing that a partiva does, which is you know stepping back from tone and hanging more weight on clearly defined individual uh, riffs and melodic ideas. Uh, uh, one thing I wanted to say um, also about this track is I'm surprised you did not mention the crushing and insane morbid angel riff that hits at three minutes in. Uh, which is like to me like I don't know like I, I can't really think of a band other than Morbid Angel that does it that well. It's uh, 
it, it, that's the thing that defined that it's interesting that yeah you're right to draw attention to that the the basic material of the record has a lot to do with immolation but th this riff on this track defined the track for me uh and it's another really cool example of the contrast you're talking about for at this point they've been working with these much thinner notes single string trem uh that more sort of like um they're more kind of like chiming uh texture um and you, you they drop out of this like eerie thrash riff into just big trem big tremolo power chords um and it's developed so skillfully they do an initial iteration of the riff with a really dissonant phrase they play it a second time dropping in a minor sixth that just makes it epic and then they loop uh Oh yeah, they, they drop it. They they do this, so they do A B, A B, and then they half the time of the riff and just do B B. Uh, and it's uh, just um, it's a good example. There's all sorts of other examples of them on the record working with uh, you know um, odd bar rhythm stuff. Uh, like you know, we should highlight also the. Uh, bizarre, just prolonged escalation on ignorance is bliss. Uh, they are, um, you know, uh, they're certainly making the most of those out of those possibilities. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm certainly excited to hear where they go from here.
Terminus episode. How the fuck did we do this for like a year and a half? With four full lengths. <laughs> How the fuck did we survive that? I've got a gun in my mouth right now. <laughs> well, that's appropriate, buddy, because we are about to review some uh, Hard Times Hardcore from California. This is No Roses on My Grave by Vamachara out on Closed Casket Activities. It's kind of rare that I know about a record coming out for long before it comes out and spend emotional energy looking forward to it. <laughs> and this is one of them. Uh, I think we both thought at the beginning of the show, we probably both thought we'd end up covering stuff like this more. And the truth is that, like, I, you know, I deeply respect, like, foundational bands in this general style, but am not that interested in most of the new stuff I hear. Um, I think for me, it's just that it's like, there's a lot of it that I like, but a lot of it, there's just not much to say about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and so for obviously for both of us, you've, you've uh, heard us talk. I mean, God, it was like, like the third episode we did or something, right? A foundational band for Terminus is, is Zibalba. Um, and the sort of, um, uh, quantum leap in heaviosity that they carried out in the early <laughs> 20-teens. Um, uh, sort of... Uh, and what they were doing was drawing in technique and advanced production from the artiest reaches of hardcore and blending it with the most ignorant reptile brain impulses of beatdown yeah. that already existed, right? <laughs> and they made sort of... Uh, um, beat down kind of a, a more common term right and they really uh, I, I think that's one of the central bands that really opened up beat down to metalheads and vice versa oh yeah because they did their like they got signed to bigger labels and their second and third records became more metal right uh yeah yeah they got more metallic over time they were signed to southern lord so they got mm -hmm. a lot of exposure to metalheads that way and mm -hmm. i don't know there's something uh, well, I've talked to some of the guys from Zabalba, and they are all like very serious extreme metal guys, as well as very mm -hmm. serious hardcore guys. So it it bears out in the music just in very subtle ways that I couldn't really put my finger on. But like when you listen to Zabalba, it's like you you feel like you're kind of listening to a metal band. No, that makes sense. I mean, like certainly like. 
uh, you know, Never Kneel, I guess, is my favorite track. I, I really just like the first one and the, the, the EP before that are, like, cold and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I like the other stuff, too, but, like, the stuff I always come back to is the, the early stuff. And, obviously, we really liked Anios and Inferno, which just has actual advanced funeral doom riffing on it. Yeah, <laughs> it's really um, cool. Very, very cool. But, um, anyway, so, I, I hear what you mean about there being something metal, because even on, like, yeah, Never Kneel is one of my favorite tracks on the first one, and that just has the sort of um, pagan immensity of, like, a Neurosis track or something. Um, mm-hmm. They they can go very epic, uh, so yeah. There's there's something authentically metallic about some of this uh, newer beatdown stuff, where metal is more than just a place to go to for techniques and riffing styles. Uh, and Vamachara is like one of the only bands that has really excited me since Zabalba. Um, and strike me as the heirs to that mantle. Now, there are a lot of bands that are somewhat better known that have tried to step into that uh, niche uh, before Vamachara, and I would say that a lot of those have some sort of, like, I don't know, gimmick isn't quite the right word, but some sort of distinguishing thing that sets them off from the influence. Yeah. And a lot of them take it in a more arty or progressive or choppy way. Uh, Vamachar's 2018 record, uh, Despondent, really just had... It was like a less arty version of the first Zabalba record. <laughs> it um, just sort of... Uh, it had all the um, crushing tone uh, and a burly guitar sound of this style. Um, it had the, uh, you know, uh, just movement from one mid-tempo beat down to another to another. Uh, it had the sort of occasional use of textural guitar, but, like, it really was... Um, it was really rooted in hardcore, in like old school metalcore technique and rhythm. There were, uh, you know, two steps and things that really worked more like breakdowns than beatdowns. Uh, and it harkens back, uh, Vamachara, I believe, are part of the Krishna core thing, or at least descended from it. I can't remember where I got that impression. Maybe just the, you know, the. Uh, esoteric Hindu name or something, but I'm pretty sure I read something about that at some point. Who knows? Maybe I'm, you know, uh, you know, we're at we're at some distance from the source here, so who knows? But uh, it's um taps into the Krishna core tradition for sure, uh, and a lot of the ideas just go straight back to Chromags, uh, and in between that, things like integrity other NYHC bands, Marauder, and I just just occurred to me right before we did this review, but when I was talking to my buddy the other day, and I said, oh, do you like Vamachara? And he's like, oh, I think I know that band. Do you like Sanctioned? <laughs> and I was like, oh, Sanctioned's awesome, right? And Sanctioned is like, sounds a little different, but people always say Sanctioned sounds like H8000, mm-hmm. the Belgian stuff. And I think Vamachara does, too, in a very different way. Uh, it sounds like the heaviest, burliest, most uh, mosh-oriented 8,000 stuff. So 
early Archangel, which you know, Congress, and like even Deformity, which was really early Deathcore. Uh, and all of that stuff is, it's coming out in the 90s, and it's really rooted in, in just uh, hardcore ideas. So there's this interesting thing where Vamachara were doing a similar thing to what kind of Kal Nagini were doing with... Uh, you know, I was saying how Colin Nagini took the antediluvian sound and productively distilled it to mm -hmm. basic phrases. I feel like Vamachara took a sound that really gelled with Zibalba, a modern beatdown sound that already Zibalba always had something kind of arty and expansive about them. Yeah, and they were really interested in texture and stuff like that. And Vamachara just stripped it down to its basic elements and made just a crushing hardcore record. Um, and, and so I, I want to play something from that, and I think it has just to like set the set the background for this. And I really I just want your take on it, bro, because like I'm pretty sure this is heavily influenced by Slam. All right, let's try it. lyric was dead from the start um, <laughs> so yeah you had some thoughts about this so yeah uh, definitely there's like proximity to slam but <clears throat> I think more directly where some of this stuff is coming from uh, and it sounds really weird especially that that uh, second to last riff that we really like that yeah um, dun, 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 
I think that's coming from something that, like, is left field but totally makes sense, which is, like, new metal era Slayer. Like, God hates us all Slayer. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, where Carrie King started listening to Slipknot and shit. But if you listen to, to uh, the opening track off that album, Disciple, which is actually like a really great song, mm-hmm. the main riff in that has the same contours as that riff by Vamachara. You know, Disciple, it's a, it's faster with like a, a thrash triplet, but it's dun 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 you know? No, that makes sense. Yeah, That's yeah. actually completely consistent with what hardcore people have been just into for the last 10 years. Yeah, totally. So, so that whole era of um, sort of metal bands teasing out new metal and groove metal ideas to try to remain relevant... Um, that would definitely connect with a lot of the same rhythmic ideas that were already happening in hardcore. <coughs> that makes a lot of sense. But the thing I re- and so the thing that seemed closest to slam to me was that right after that, just massive pinch harmonic squeal. Uh, when the breakdown hits, is like John 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 Oh yeah, I mean, isn't that literally a slam? Yeah, basically. I mean, slam is has pretty fuzzy edges, but I think that yeah, I mean that counts as well as anything else. I and they could be getting it directly from Slam Death. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Vamachar were listening to Slam Death. Um, it's uh, it's it, it's interesting. It's it's been very clear from the beginning that Vamachara listens to a lot of death metal, and I think that listening to death metal at this, but as we've talked about, is like a thing that hardcore guys almost do by default now. Yeah, yeah. The boundaries, as the, the, you know, there's a whole subsections of the death metal scene that are clearly now just hardcore. Uh, right, like, you know, a lot of the maggot stomp bands just exist in the hardcore ecosystem. Uh, mm-hmm. And conversely, uh, bands like Vamachara and uh, um, their their buddies Momentum seem to be moving just uh, in a spiritually much more metal direction and out of the hardcore, kind of, uh, out of the hardcore ecosystem. Well, yeah, I mean, the riffing is, I, you can hear it in the riffing, which just becomes so much more elaborate in these more metal-inflected bands. Um, I saw Momentum uh, live early this year, and I, I had listened to some Momentum before, and I really liked it, but when I watched them on stage, it was like, oh, these are just metal riffs. These are like eight bars long, and they're intricate and in narrative, you know? Yeah, I finally listened to that record. I did. I didn't give it a fair shake when I first heard it, but I finally listened to that record uh, recently. Uh, actually, because Vamachara was posting about momentum, um, and I was like, "Oh, this is really good." And yeah, like that's uh, people often say this stuff is really influenced by metal, and I'm like, "Well, it's it's a resource for it, but the basic structure of the songs is 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 still very hardcore." But like when you hear that, I'm like. Oh yeah, these are just like involved, like uh, many different kinds of highly involved death metal riffs. <coughs> yeah, uh, it was it was really interesting. It's it's like remarkably technical a lot of the time, and um, re- really, I think that if if they didn't have that sort of you know ur- urban war zone aesthetic to them, they'd be thought of as just a metal band. 
And why can't the urban war zone aesthetic be metal? Right? I, I mean, it is. We, we've yeah, done it, it plenty. Is. But it's... <laughs> yeah. um, a- anyway, so yeah, maybe the distinguishing thing about Vamashara then is that there are very few things that you can isolate as a metal riff just in this context. However, I think you're right. Now, when I hear it, it's like the riffing is way more detailed in the bands that seriously listen to metal and even the breakdowns, like that slayery breakdown, right? They write a lot of things that have the shape and movement of traditional Chromax-esque breakdowns, but they have so much melodic detail in them. Yeah. Uh, which, and that corresponds to, um, but and it meshes with a thing that is... Uh, inherited really more from the hardcore side which is something a lot of really a lot of other beatdown bands and deathcore bands lack which is an intense sense of like fucked up groove yeah um this is this is like evil funk music uh and the way the riffs the the more elaborate melodic (laughs) shapes allow them to do all kinds of like uh throw all kinds of like fucked up bolo punches yeah, you know. it's uh, <coughs> well in terms of in terms of this record though uh, for Vamachara, I think the the big thing that I really immediately noticed, and I've I've talked about this band on the show before, is like at least a substantial level of influence from Knocked Loose, who I think at this point are just like probably the most important hardcore band to blow up in the past few years. I, I, I think I'm, I'm willing to make that my hot take in, in terms of influence and how the, they've almost become this gravity. Well, that the hardcore scene has contorted around, you know, they blew the doors open for the reincorporation of new metal. Um, and didn't Zibalba do that? Not nearly as directly as uh, Knocked Loose did. I mean, Knocked Loose just has corn riffs, you know? Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, So on this record, there's definitely the Knocked Loose influence. There's obviously a lot of extreme metal. Uh, I mean, that, like, almost doesn't even bear mention because it's just there are just extreme metal parts on this record. Um, But the other thing is that it really, like, digs into a lot of 2000s hardcore that was, like, in style when you and I were in high school. I'm thinking about bands like Bury Your Dead and First Blood and Life Ruiner. Um, There's a lot of stuff here that could conceivably have been done back in 2005. And I think it's interesting to see those ideas resurfacing. Um, And I think that that might have something to do with how the hardcore scene operates where, you know, the metal scene is either dilettantes or lifers. And then the hardcore scene has more of a gradient between those two. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you've got representations on either side, but there's a, there's a lot more kids who get into hardcore for a couple summers and then move on um, versus like guys who get into black metal for a couple summers and move on. So I think the rapid cycling of the audience in the hardcore scene, which is just bigger than extreme metal by default, um, results in ideas reemerging on a faster cycle than they do in the metal scene. You know what I mean? I think that makes sense. Like it's being, it's recycling faster and therefore developing a lot slower. Um, Yeah. 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 Because in some sense there's nothing. Yeah. If you want to get, yeah, there's a lot of this, has something very early 2000s about it, and 
a lot of it also, like, if it had come out in 2013 and someone had said, hey, this is the second Zabalba record, I just would have been like, hey, they sound really different. <laughs> like, like they, But you know what I mean? Like, it's not, um, not like the bands are anything close to identical. I'm just saying, like, in terms of the basic riffing and musical technology, hardcore moves slowly, and there has not been a... Uh, it feels like we've been in the same moment for a long time, but hearing a record this good come out now is proof that it was worth exploring. Uh, so let's listen to um, uh, the first track, How Long Until It Kills, or second track, How Long Until It Kills Me. It's in the same position on the record as the last one I sampled from the old record, Reign of Hate. Uh, and it opens in a somewhat similar way with a kind of very choppy sequence that winds us up. Uh, but you'll be able to hear some changes in the chording and in tempo. things first this record is way faster yeah you, you, you can hear the tempo difference right oh um, yeah and it's it's i mean the the first record wasn't a slash but it's obviously just way more technical way more technical yeah the level you were talking about like the level of detail that just was even on the last record this is uh this is almost like just hardcore riffs being played with metal levels of detail 
Well, yeah, and I it was funny while I was listening. I was listening to those super convoluted, um, you know, open string breakdown arrangements mm-hmm. that they have, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking about how that's always been, you know, like especially when we were coming up, that was the hallmark of like, oh, you know, metalcore bad, not real metal riff, and it's like I think that those specific kinds of rhythmic frameworks really come more from metal. Those are elaborations on fast thrash gallops and shit. You know, just sort of mm-hmm. cut and paste and rearranged. It's like hardcore, traditional hardcore punk breakdowns don't sound like that. That's really a metal technique. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Certainly a lot of things that we would think of as a hardcore breakdown came from Slayer or uh, Pantera. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but also, I mean, also, you know, in the... Mm-hmm. You can also just hear like something like demigod or something, right? Like, yeah, like yeah. There's connections to other kinds of to, you know, to deeper death metal and stuff too. Uh, anyway, yeah. Let's talk about the the technique here. So, the opening riff has this kind of deliberately choppy wind up feel, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not a slam. It's like it's a thrash riff. The beat is simply a one-two thrash riff, but I cannot, for the fucking life of me, count it. I think that uh, that opening riff, that really scronky one, is mm-hmm. like a specific callback to... Um, d- did you ever listen to Ion Dissonance? No. Yeah, so Ion Dissonance are a, a Quebecois, like, techie, hardcore band who are really a metal band secretly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, like, really tight with the guys in Despised Icon and that whole scene. But uh, they use a ton of arrangements like that, which is also kind of like a, like a sectioned thing, you know? I was going to say sectioned. I was thinking, we were talking earlier, and I was saying, eh, there hasn't been any real development since Zibalba. But, like, that's not true. Sectioned is a quantum leap, and you can hear sectioned here, too, for sure. Mm-hmm. But would Ion Dissonance be one of the sources for sections, kind of? Yeah. Possibly. I, I could see section listening to Ion Dissonance. You'd probably get a kick out of Ion Dissonance if you if you can get past some of the, the like fast stop-start immediately tapping stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you'd be into it. Yeah. Well, I can use a little of that. It's uh, but um the uh Basically, the way that riff is written is insane. Um, it never... You can skank to the whole thing, right? You, It's not like it's a choppy tech riff, but it every time it, fin, it... Every time the phrase loops around, it falls in a different point. And around 122, they play the same riff again, sped up. Yeah. Um, it's nuts. And it's that kind of like... Um, I mean, that's like an Apartiva thing or like something that, uh, you know, Kala Kuma and Kala Nagini were do- have done on both of their records. Uh, oh, uh, hey, we've got a way simpler answer to this question. This is just a Meshuga thing. The, oh, well, that, that's got to be true. Does Meshuga, uh, because, yeah, I mean, big for section, big for all of these guys. Does Meshuga play thrash beats like that, or are you saying they're thrashing out the Meshuga? Uh, no, uh, Meshuga originally on the first like two records did thrash beats like that, and then they brought it back just on the last couple records. <laughs> but I meant more in terms of like I think the reason it's so hard to count is because it's a little polyrhythmic arrangement. Oh, think, for sure, it's polyrhythmic. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. you're you're right that it's like Meshuga. I'm just saying it's. Yeah, Meshuggah has to be, like, a huge influence here. I just think it's an interesting parallel to the advanced composition we hear in, like, 
Indian war medal. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, in that it is both sophisticated, off-time stuff that is direct and non-masturbatory and mm-hmm. riffs. Um, it, and then every single riff here has like, uh, you know, the fast parts are faster, the slow parts are faster, and crucially, there is a higher rate of subdivision in the picking. Um, yeah, yeah, a, a lot there of sure as fuck is. <laughs> the default, as you heard on the last one, right? The, the whole conceit for this is was that you they sort of slowed the Sweeteth Jugga Jugga riff down to a point where it became more effective than it was in Entombed or even Dismember. Yeah. Uh, and here they're speeding it back up, but with the same crisp definition that it lacked in those bands. Uh, and the... Uh, yeah, it's just insane how many notes are... Like, even the two-step, right, is just... Dre- I couldn't explain how much that riff is dressed up and how much sort of coiled rhythmic power is packed into it by all of the chugs in between the punctuating notes. Yeah, it's a, rhythmically, this is hyper-dense, and there's some really interesting playing around with tempo versus note subdivisions that these guys do. Lots of creative tricks to make it feel like there's substantial tempo differences. It's really interesting. Yeah, that's right. The tempo, there's a lot of continuity in the tempo, but they can obviously, yeah, they can, they can do a lot of playing with the time and just, I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the sense that the riff always does, the riff always does whatever it's supposed to do in like a six chord beatdown song from the nineties. And yet, it always does that, but it does it, like, more because of how, uh, just how much shit is crammed into it. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, and you can see why these guys are so close to momentum. Like, they were, um, I, I would say this bears a lot more similarity to momentum in terms of that sort of, like, dense, metal, riff-packed, hardcore style. Um yeah, this sounds more like them, more like Momentum than their last one did. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, speaking of which, let me li- let's listen to a song that really capitalizes on this newfound density. Um, uh, we're gonna listen to the whole song "Pincushion." That's just two minutes long. Um, so here, I want to draw closer attention to that "Knocked Loose" comparison, but it's also it's like a three and a half minute "Knocked Loose" song distilled down into like two minutes, but with the same number of ideas. Let's listen to this and just see how many different ideas a beatdown hardcore band can put into two minutes. Yeah! 
God, that's such a cool fucking song. Um, I also like how the uh, the high vocals on this record are just like insane, like crust grind screams rather than like just higher pitched fry vocals. They're really unhinged and weird. Dude, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we should have. Yes, that's that is a very cool part of the record and is a huge change from the last one. Yeah, they're just they're really like blood flecked and kind of like upsetting you know it's like it's really fucking cool but that's also but that also connects to the knocked loose thing uh because knocked loose had we have to remember laugh tracks came out in 2016 you didn't really hear vocal timbres like that in beatdown and yes you can be reductive and say it's simple to be like oh what if instead of sing low sing high but it like was important um so a lot of shit goes on in this song uh, and there's all sorts of techniques that are really cool. Um, the way the uh, so obviously the whole kind of scronky dissonant chord thing is nothing new, but they actually voice particular chords. They're not just slamming on a bar chord every time they do that. They're the 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 horrible scronk chord is different in every song. So there is a a sense of like actually creating a melodic idea, even in those like really gnarly binary parts. Um, I want to bring up again uh, the, or I, I well not again, but we never really mentioned it. The drumming on this record is fucking alarmingly good. Um, the guy has a really wonderful musical sense as well as just being like super punishing and on point, And it adds a lot of dimension to this music. Um, really, if there's anything to say about this record, just as a whole, is like, at any given moment, there's a ton more going on than you would ever expect from a beatdown record, and really a ton more that you realize is happening with subsequent listens. Um, there's a lot of depth and intricacy to this stuff, and it, it really bridges the gap between extreme metal and beatdown hardcore in a really cool way. Yeah, there's a, a lot more going on, and I, I thought of a way of articulating that, or what I was saying about the way that the, the detail sort of strengthens each riff. It's like, there's so much going on in each riff that it is straining at the bounds of its measure. In, yeah. in, in the way that, like, Slayer riffs did when Slayer wrote them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there's just, like, every riff wants to get out of the measure and punch the other riffs. <laughs> right it, it's like and and it's um and you can hear that just like brimming uh brimming aggression at every turn um, it's 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 crowded but in a good way yeah like a like the pit man well yeah it, it, i definitely you get the sense that it is like it is music that is like struggling against itself which is a cool effect Yes, and it is also very much struggle music, uh, you know. Um, one of the things I loved about the last record was the sense of um, incredible effort. <laughs> like, it just being, you know, struggling against tremendous weight um, and, and, like, throwing punches underwater or something. And, and this record is, like... You know, this record, honestly, that's a significant change. The last record felt like hard time struggle music. This record is just like a tyrannical tour de force. Well, yeah, and it's also kind of like 
skits. <laughs> it's kind of skitsed out too, which is a, a yeah. cool vibe for a mm-hmm. beatdown record. But it's not like conspicuous, you know, it's not like Still Bloom or something or Chamber or whatever, where the, these Still Bloom, of course, is more new metal, more deliberately like, uh, tre- more deliberately trench coat, right? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And, and, or a band like, <coughs> if I remember it right, Chamber is a lot more mathy, uh, or proggy in general. Mm-hmm. Um, this just, um, this feels very schizo while still doing what it says on the tin. Uh, uh, an interesting thing you said about the changing the interrupter chords. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of have the opposite take, but maybe they go together. The thing you said was they change the interrupter chord each song. And that's like, I feel like if you listen, uh, this trans transitions to the next one, uh, honestly. The other big influence here, which is behind a lot of the bands we've mentioned, is Converge. Yeah. Um, and this really, Converge was kind of an oblique influence on the kinds of tones and chords you would get in something like Zibalba. But this is almost like, just like, like, can we write Jane Doe in our own way? Which is, you know, cool. Yeah, well, I, I mean, at this point, I just, I whenever I hear something like this, I feel like the Converge thing just, like, goes without saying. Yeah, it sort of goes without saying, but an important point of comparison is Converge and other bands that are more overtly Screamo-influenced or post-hardcore or whatever will, like, write whole kind of choppy riffs with these disharmonic phrases in them, uh, and the, the they'll be doing more shaping of these chords. Here... The scronk chord works as like an interrupter chord, and they'll return to the same one or two or three chords over the course of a song. Like at the in the half, like two thirds through pincushion, uh, the, the one we just sampled. It, you know, there was a riff that just yeah. Um, it's 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 an interesting like. They're taking all this riffing technology from death metal and from, uh, like, the most arty metal core of the early 2000s and whatever and really distilling it. So they're like, we don't need to do that whole choppy, glassy, glass-breaking part, but we like those chords, and they're using them as, like, the inverse of the pedal point. Mm-hmm. It's like they have the chug they have the scronk chord. And then there's a bunch of other riffing action that happens with power chords and other shapes in between those. But it, it sets them like a, a, a ground floor and a ceiling. And they can almost get as... And instead of, like, resolving the chords, the chords, you get a payoff feeling because the chords just drop back into the chug. Yeah. So there's something kind of cool about that. Um, uh... Let's listen to um, Anathema. Um, and you'll hear some of the more convergy side of the band here. Uh, and we're going to start off with some, some D-beat and then into material that's way more out there. Uh, you could think about simplified versions of the riffs on Concubine or Fault and Fracture or something. Oh! 
All right. So, um, not that much to say that we haven't already discussed about that, but the thing that, like, bur comes bursting out of that is this, uh, just the the 16th chug chug roll and then just those <laughs> yeah that part's cool <laughs> yeah that is one of the most metal parts on the record that just works in the way a metal riff does uh setting up the bass and then spiraling out a complex uh apocalyptic melody but it's really played in this um you were saying ion dissonance ion dissonance and also just um <coughs> A lot of this record harkens back to a time where, like, mathcore was hardcore. And, you know, it, it wasn't, like, completely ghettoized into, like, guitar nerd circles. Because a lot of the shit on this record, especially the most tactical moments, also reminds me of uh, uh, Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza. Mm -hmm. um, who were just a really cool, like, early mathy hardcore band. Uh, who would do all the crazy tappy stuff, but also just had these like really bizarre, nauseating grooves. It's a really cool band. Bizarre, nauseating grooves definitely sort of fits this record. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, and and that sort of like strange, uh, you know, yeah that 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 riff also has a lot in common with like uh, things converged it on records that weren't Jane Doe. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like when forever comes crashing or whatever, but, um, uh, yeah. And, and, and it goes with the vocals too. They, they really, they're crust grind vocals, but they really sound like Jake Bannon, um, which is a difficult thing to do. Uh, um, anyway, let's, oh yeah. One last thing before I forget is with the, the DB parts and the skanks are way more prominent on this record than those things used to be on um, Beatdown. And part of it might be uh, Knocked Loose, who were played much faster than I expected when you showed them to me. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, part of it's also, I think, a weird thing where Beatdown bands intentionally were like, well, we don't, we almost never play D beats or hardcore beats because the point is what defines the style is the, the pit stuff, right? Yeah. We're not like, we're not little kids skanking around. <laughs> um, uh, we're grown men throwing trash cans at each other. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, <laughs> and so it, it had that, but, but riffs like that were cool. Uh, and so this, they've really been reintroduced at this point. And the thing that allows it to be reintroduced is the metal riffs, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just playing like corded, uh, you know, in, instead of just like a you know a straightforward power chord sequence over the D beat or the skank, you get um, you know these. Uh, it, it's like wanting to play at the gates riffs brought them, but not like the mellow death kind. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, or wanting to play actual dismember riffs like brought them back to. Uh, um, uh, brought them back to actually using hardcore beats, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is cool. Um, so speaking of uh, weird rhythmic stuff, uh, one last sample. This is off Nemesis toward the end of the album. Um, this is one that really has that 2000s uh, bury your dead or life ruiner energy. Um, but it also has a bunch of weird, uncountable rhythms uh, some really fascinating jazzy drumming. Another band that we haven't talked about that this should be compared to is Tribal Gaze. Um, oh, which, yeah. 
Yeah, which uh, we did like a mini review in our like 2022 roundup at the beginning of this year. Um, and I, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> allergies, people, sorry. Um, so uh, Tribal Gaze is another band that is like, if you think about it, Vamachara and Tribal Gaze use like exactly the same ingredients, but one is considered a death metal band and one is considered a hardcore band, which I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... This one does, in fact, feature a slam. I, I just love everything that happened there. 